This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. I'm Jonathan Bailey from IDEA, and I live in Mission Hills. I've been a Voice of San Diego member for more than two years. I read it religiously every morning. One of the things that attracted me to the Voice of San Diego was that it's deep coverage of local news that I could not find anywhere else. I'm not really that interested in what tree fell on a car or somebody's lost dog. I'm really interested in the things that make San Diego tick, the things that are important for us to know as residents of San Diego and how we can help make our city a better place. We should all support Voice of San Diego because it's literally the voice of San Diego. It covers all of the things that are most important to us as residents of San Diego, as participants in the community, and there is not another news site like it in our city. Sponsoring the podcast today is Sempra Services. Greenhouse gas emissions impact us all. In this new podcast series, former San Diego County Planning Commissioner and renewable energy and transportation expert Peter Norby explores best practices for reducing greenhouse gases and making real progress toward a healthier future on the local level. In this episode, Norby sits down with a renowned economist and Point Loma Nazarene professor, Dr. Lynn Reeser, to discuss the implications of government-controlled energy in San Diego. Visit sempraservices.com to learn more and tune into the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Hello, podcast listeners. Sorry for the long stretches of silence in the Culture Cast feed. I've been busy launching Voices San Diego's newest show, I Made It in San Diego, a podcast about the region's businesses and the people behind them. If you haven't checked it out, please do so. You can find it in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or at voicesofsandiego.org slash podcast. In this week's Culture Cast, Border Art. Though Trump's aggressive border policies provoked an international conversation that lasted throughout 2017, for many of those involved, the border remains sort of an enigma, just a faraway political concept. For the Californians and Mexicans who live near it, though, the border is a very real place. That was driven home throughout the year as local and foreign artists used the border as a canvas on which they expressed opinions about Trump's policies. 2017 has been a busy year for artists making work at or about the international border fence. So I asked three local artists and curators to join me to talk about border art in a roundtable discussion. Alessandra Moctezuma, an artist who runs the gallery at San Diego Mesa College and who recently curated the Undocumenta Border Art Show currently on view at the Oceanside Museum of Art. Jill Holzlin, an artist, border activist, and teacher at San Diego State University who recently took part in a big border art intervention. And Perry Vasquez, a professor at Southwestern College in Chula Vista, the director of the art gallery there, and an artist who's made iconic border art and curated shows by border artists. Here's our conversation. So... 
you know, I lived in Tijuana for a while, for a few years, and I actually had my first apartment there, had a view of part of the border infrastructure. And uh, part of my view was a text mural by Marcos Ramirez Ere. Um, and so border art obviously is protest art at the border and about the border is something that's lasted even before there was a border wall. Um, you know, if you think of images of like, the artist who put the door up and there's all there was at that time was, uh, you know, barbed wire fence at that point. So, um, Alessandra, I wondered if you could help us understand just more of the history of protest art that tackles topics about border politics, human rights, all the all the issues surrounding the border wall. This is a topic that has been important to artists for several decades, and it brings together artists from San Diego and Tijuana because they are both interested in these issues. And um, what I think is very interested, interesting about art that takes place in the border is that being that it's a, a public space and a public site, it allows artists to bring art outside of the museum and gallery space and to engage with a larger community. And when you're doing art that is political, that is even more effective because you can have a, a message that you want to convey, a, a social or a political message. The, the challenge is bringing people into the art spaces to see that. So I think that one really important thing about border art is that it's located you know, geographically, on site, on a public site, and that that uh, visibility is really um, crucial mm -hmm. to the message mm -hmm. also. And um, the artists that have been involved, and, and historically, I guess one of the most important groups would be the Border Arts Workshop. Right. And, and so the idea also of working as collectives was important to them because um, that was a way to... Um, you know, create larger projects, you know, more attention to what was going on. And then um, the idea that the border is uh, a reality for people who live in Tijuana. So for the artists who are in Tijuana, I think the perspective is slightly different mm -hmm. because, like you mentioned, the infrastructure of the fence is right there in your face. So right. if you live in Colonia Libertad, you have the fence right there. But that also offers more opportunity to engage with it as a, a, a as a canvas, right. you know, where you can actually alter it. And so, I think that that is um, also important to to mention. And then, you know, of course, the artists that challenge the concept of um, of a border wall, like the door at the border, mm -hmm. or there was, um, you know, the artists in during insight. I don't remember the name, but that got shot from a <laughs> cannon mm -hmm. across in Friendship Park. So, um, so not only um, intervening on the border wall itself, but also challenging the concept of that border has been an important way to activate, you know, that very interesting uh, space that line that divides the two countries. Um, and so, so those are some things that come to mind. I also um, want to point out the times where border artists um, also worked to um, participate uh, uh, as participants of protest art 
if you remember when there was the anti-immigrant movement of light up the border, where people were coming to the border and setting up their cars. Like Minutemen And then type. the Minutemen mm-hmm. type. But these were people that were actually parking their cars along the border on this side and using their headlights so that people could be visible as they were crossing as a way to warn, I guess, crossers from not doing this. And so artists on the other side, and I know Carmela Castrejon was part of this mm-hmm. group, artists on the other side brought mirrors <laughs> and so they counter this, you know, flow of light with mirrors by reflecting back, you know. But I think it's on, not only reflecting the light back, but also making pe- people reflect on their position on the border and kind of highlighting that. Um, and so I think artists in the last decades have built on these issues of the border. Of course, another offshoot of that is art that deals with migration, Mm-hmm. And and so many artists have also taken a stand on that. Um, I could talk a little bit longer, but maybe we should. <laughs> yeah, Perry. I mean, other people. Perry, you're here, um, obviously, because of as an artist, you've done, you know, in my mind, what continues to be one of the most iconic images when it comes to border art. Um, your Keep on Crossing campaign. So tell us about that. Um. The Keep on Crossing campaign was a collaboration done with an artist named Victor Payan, and it it's been it's been a while now. It's been 15, 14, 15 years since that project was born, but it had a very a kind of a, a innocent birth in that uh, we got together to talk about uh, designs for the California Quarter mm-hmm. back in two thousand two or two thousand. Three, you know, we thought, wouldn't it be funny to design a uh, make a design for the quarter that would absolutely be rejected uh, <laughs> because of its political content? So <laughs> we we came up with this idea of a campesino like figure stepping across the border, and in calling it "Keep on Crossing," we were lifting the the "Keep on Trucking" slogan from mm-hmm. uh, very famously from R. Crumb, the underground comic who uh, had a very distinctive cartoon character, Mr. Natural, who he uh, uh, often paired mm-hmm. with that slogan. Mm-hmm. So we, we appropriated that and we put it, situated it along the border. Uh, the first manifestation of that project was uh, a sew-on patch. Uh, there's a manifesto that went along with it. And then ultimately we did a, a project where we took our design down to Tijuana and we worked with uh, two uh, craftsmen there to create a monito, which is a plaster statue, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the kind of which you often see sold along the border at tourist s- stops. So that that project really was about somehow normalizing the act of crossing and humanizing the not only the immigrants, people who were looking to cross the border for uh, the long term, but also people that we knew would just cross the border every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a tribute to their <laughs> their dedication to put up with the long waits and, and uh, the inconvenience of crossing the border. So it, it, I feel we feel that it had a lot of different layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we, did, we never thought of it as protest, really, although I, I would... It's pretty would, punk rock. It's pretty punk rock, but we, <laughs> we thought of it as giving a shout-out to the crossers. Interesting. Uh, in, in that sense, uh, we, we weren't... There was a positive side to it, although we knew it would irritate people who naturally were anti-immigrant. Right. And of course, we were quite ready to receive whatever 
criticism or is going to come our way for that. And what year did that project come out? Or uh, it was time? the, yes. So in 2003, uh, we, we came out with the patch and the manifesto. And then in, in, uh, about a year later, we had, did something called the Keep on Crossing Awards. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a kind of a grassroots campaign to give out uh, these awards to people who we felt had contributed to uh, crossing borders and various uh, aspects of life. Uh, uh, and, and then we had made the statue on the occasion of, of those awards. So, so did you look at in terms of the history of protest art at the border or border art in general? Um, like how did border art workshop and kind of all the, the some of the other border art moments that Alessandra mentioned? Did you feel like you were, you know, contri- did you think about it as a genre of art that you were contributing to or? Sure, I was absolutely aware of of the work of the border arts workshop in the mm-hmm. '90s. I was I worked at the Central Cultural de la Raza, and I, of course, knew a lot of the artists who were who were a part of the border arts workshop were still around at the time. Um, we ours was a little bit different. It was kind of an intervention into the into the tourist art world of Tijuana. So we you know we were looking for uh, to make our project to to do a project that we could put in the hands of artists working down south of the border and create a kind of authenticity, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it was also a way of getting out of the studio and engaging with some of these artisans in Tijuana, mm-hmm. it, getting to know them, learning a little bit about how this uh, this art market, this tourist art market works, mm-hmm. and just to, to try something different. Um, we, this, we, I ha, I ha, we weren't aware of anyone else who had done anything like that at the time. Mm-hmm. So we thought in all of the different moves and uh, concepts that had been articulated during the time that the Border Arts Workshop was uh, going, we thought that this was a niche that we could create, still create work about the border, yet at the same time carve out a little space for our own. And Jill, uh, we'll talk about kind of your most recent uh, project soon, but in terms of the history of border art, uh, what are some of the moments that stick out to you in terms of the genre? Like some of the moments, like the guy, the friend, I think he was a French artist during Insight, which was an event that uh, I believe started in 1994, started in the nine, early 90s. Um, was it a by? By, it was an uh, international exhibition that took place along the, the border. Mm-hmm. So they brought artists from all over the world to respond. Yeah. They, they brought artists from all over the world to respond. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough to catch the last uh, one, although it's still going, I hear. And, um, you know, we'll see what shape it takes in the future. But, but Jill, how did, you know, what are some of those moments that have stood out to you as an artist that you look to as great examples of border art? Well, certainly, um, the um, yeah, the the you know the border arts workshop. Um, for me, the the interventions that took place, like on the wall itself, have been really important for me because that was really um, the site where I began to explore and kind of create things out of that raw material of the wall. Um, and so the. Uh, the intervention of the crosses um, that were yeah. put mm-hmm. on the wall, which I believe was Border Arts Workshop. Is that correct? The, um, I think so. There was a series of crosses that were, uh, that were put on the wall made of wood um, with uh, names of migrants who had crossed and who had passed away um, on the pro- in the process of crossing. 
um, that those kinds of interventions that um, that deal directly and that and then engage directly with the wall um, were important for me uh, just to sort of um, because they because they create a different visual image that you look at when you see the wall. And so one of my first projects with the border wall uh, was my project called Rastros, which means traces. And what I did was just in the process of hiking around the border wall and exploring the wall, I began to notice uh, people had scrawled their names or little messages on the wall. And I started on the U.S. side, and I saw very few of them, obviously, because you don't you know, they don't stop and, you know, when they're on the U.S. side, when a migrant's on the U.S. side, they're not going to stop and take a lot of time to write on the wall. Right. Um, but I noticed, uh, I started noticing them and started really looking for them. And so I started photographing them in these, like, really close-up photographs. And what I really wanted to do with that project was to kind of force people to get really, really close to this wall and understand and feel the texture of the wall, to feel the materiality of the wall, and to kind of, in a way, um, break down the kind of monumentality that the wall has as, you know, as a, as a, as an object, Um, and kind of force people to kind of zoom in close and see the wall in a very different way. And so I have a series of those. I have, I don't know, I have, I have like, I don't know, 60 or some, I have lots and lots of, of different photographs and I have 25 of them that have actually shown in, uh, in gallery shows. And, you know, as a set, it's, it creates a kind of interesting panorama of, uh, different colors and different textures and it's the border wall, but at the same time, it's, it, it kind of, uh, it reveals, the kind of weakness at the same time of the wall. There's there's a weakness, there are holes in it, there's rust, um, and of course there's messages. On every single one of my photographs there's a message. And so it reveals the names and different cities that people have come from, and you get a sense of the diversity of the people that have crossed, the people that have like occupied that space in front of the wall. Um, and so for me, I also sort of don't like to collapse uh, the idea of border art with protest art because this, in a sense, is it's more archaeological what I'm doing and mm-hmm. it's more documentary where I'm exploring the wall as a space and as a uh, as as a site of uh, in, in a sense as a as an archaeological site where people have been, people have occupied that space and have gone and have left these traces of their presence there. So it's not, it's not a protest. It's, 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 it's the, the, the art that it is, is not, it's not a protest. It's more engaging with the wall in a very different way. You could see someone from a certain point of view would say, you know, you're humanizing immigrants and in that way, supporting immigration or, you know, I mean, because I, I know what you're saying, and I had a hard time as a writer kind of collapsing those two ideas of protest art and border art. But because of the politics, it's just almost impossible to separate the politics of a border wall from, you know, the object. So to, I don't know, I feel like maybe all border art is in a way protest art. 
you know, Alessandra or or Perry. Well, feel I think free to jump I in. think the identity of the yeah, wall. Yeah. Well, the line I mean, itself. let me just let me just respond to that because um, the problem I have with the word protest art is that it it oversimplifies the art itself. And it kind of collapses art into the category of propaganda and collapses it into there's a political message here. And um, just as an analogy, I just read this article that my son wrote yesterday, and um, Arab, Arab musicians are suffering from the same thing, where everyone just listens to their music and they look for the political message. <laughs> and then the rest of it is like, oh, that's not interesting. They're looking for the political message. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but there's art. And, you know, there's, there are ways that artists engage with the object itself. And part of my intervention with this project is to engage with the object of the wall and to engage with the, like I said, monumentality of this object, which ideologically also, yes, it's, 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 a, it's a physical manifestation of a totalitarian government system of uh, militarization of the border, which is very political, right. but it's also art. And I think that's where I have a problem with collapsing it into protest, because mm-hmm. it's not that it isn't a protest. It's that when you collapse it into protest, you have a hard time talking about the way it functions artistically and the way it functions physically as as an object. And Perry, what were you saying? Did you want to finish your thought? I just think that the identity of the border has been in question since its very inception in 1848. Right. I mean, you have, when you think about uh, the first diplomats and politicians to conceptualize the border did so from a, a very long distance away. Right. And so the the border, in, in essence, was a work of the imagination, just like a work of art. It was <laughs> conceived in the imagination and then cartographers, surveyors were unleashed upon the landscape to then map it out and turn it into a reality. And the, 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 the history of that effort to map the border and establish it on the ground is a, quite an interesting history. And it, it, it meets up with a lot of, a lot of uh, events and phenomena that really work against that kind of imposition of a border from from long range, and of course we know that there are uh, whole areas of the border that are completely open. Right. And and one can say, you know, first there is a border, then there is no border, then there is because it falls in and out of existence <laughs> uh, depending on where it is geographically and naturally. With, with Jill's Jill's work is premised on th- this concept of the border is a hard object mm-hmm. uh, that can that is not penetrable although it's interesting because she almost describes it as like it's swiss uh swiss cheese <laughs> seems to be full of holes <laughs> uh and uh you know the the united states would like to project the border as a hard object not only not only physically but ideologically right um and but uh, as I think, as Jill's project points out, there's the reality of the border is quite different from the ideological border that the government tries to promote. But what do you think, Alessandra? Is it possible to separate border art from the politics inherent with the border wall and border policies? Well, I think that when you are, some of the artists are talking about their experience along the border. For example, Marco Ramirez R. just recreated the border fence at the Oceanside Museum of Art. And, and that's for your show, and that's on, for the show Undocumenta, Undocumenta, which you curated and is on view through 
January 28th. Okay. And so when we were discussing that project, he said, well, it's really not so much that it's a protest or a political act, but it's an expression of my reality and the reality of many people. And so this barrier, this obstacle, when I wake up in the morning, if you look outside your window, you have this, you know, 30 foot or 10, 10 foot wall Mm -hmm. up and, and it impedes your view. It impedes your connection to others. And so I, I know that artists have a choice whether they decide whether their works should be labeled as protest or political. But as a curator, I guess my point is that in the same way we, we talked about women's art, the personal is political. Right. So even that kind of personal expression or the revelation of that reality that is not visible to most people, to me, it becomes a perceived as a political act right and and to me kind of stands up for for issues that are underrepresented and people that are underrepresented and and in that sense I think it has great value um so so that's that's kind of how I see it so in the last year since uh President Donald Trump was elected we've seen an uptick in border art um, it's, you know, over the decades has ebbed and flowed kind of in reaction to the various policies of um, the president or politicians. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. I, I have to say that I don't think that that they're up that border art, the production of art that relates to the border has increased. Mm-hmm. I think that it's always been there, but people haven't noticed it when it wasn't relevant to the situation. Okay. I did a border show. Maybe it was six six years ago, or I don't remember exactly, but uh, at Mesa College that had Maria Teresa Fernandez, who's a photographer documenting Friendship Park Mm -hmm. through several decades of, you know, when they built the the larger wall. And And Friendship Park uh, is the park that's at the border uh, between, um, is it technically Imperial Imperial Beach? Imperial Beach, yeah. And Playa de Tijuana, and there's a park there right where the fence runs into the ocean. Go ahead. Exactly. So she's been documenting this for decades Mm -hmm. and all the changes that happened. And I had her and Paul Tourne, who's an artist who's actually traveled along the border um, and had exchanges with crossers and incorporated incorporated them into his artwork with their permission. And also I had uh, Carmela Castrejon, who was part of the Border Arts Workshop. And when I put that show up, I said, you know, and we had actually a replica of the border fence because Paul Turenet had gotten a handle of the leftovers from the border fence and actually installed it in the gallery. Okay. It was a pretty wow. amazing exhibit that's now at, showing at, uh, in, in, in Tucson. And when I put out that press release saying, you know, 2,000 pounds of border fence at the gallery... And nobody in, in picked it up, you know. Our students came in. We heard from Maria Teresa. We heard from Carmela. People cried, you know, when people talked about migrate, migration and about the issues, the fact that they could actually reach out to their families in Friendship Park, and now they couldn't because there was this wall. Right. There was wonderful engagement, but there was not much attention for the exhibition. And And so there's art. So I think artists... Because it's a, it's a personal issue. So an artist is going to cover and do whatever is needed, whatever kind of feeds their soul, you know, and kind of, 
of uh, interest to them. So I don't think it's that recently there's been an uptick. I think recently there's been more attention placed okay. on border art that because makes sense. of yeah. the administration. Okay. Yeah, I mean, then yeah, you... I... Go ahead, Jill. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I just want to give a shout-out to um, Stefan Falka, who is a friend of mine and a photographer who lives in New York City. And he started a project um, several years ago, I, at least five years ago, called Frontera, Artists Along the U.S.-Mexico Border. And he has created um, a book and a website that uh, documents all of the artists who are engaging with the border um, all the way along in all the states of Mexico and all of the United States um, of, the, of America along the U.S.-Mexico border. And so um, what he captures in that book is something really important, is this tradition and these threads of tradition that exist and that have always existed existed along the U.S.-Mexico border, and um, all the different themes and topics that artists are engaging with. Um, and so I agree, it's something that has existed. It's been a very vital tradition um, for artists that live in this region. Um, but I think, like um, like I've seen as an activist as well, um, Trump has, and, you know, the, the hysterical hysterical in the negative sense, this, um, this uh, bombastic rhetoric about the border and this, this um, very negative rhetoric about the border and his insistence on building border wall has drawn this issue into national conversation in a way that it was part of the national conversation, I think, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when, when Operation Gatekeeper was happening. Right. But um, has never really has never really reached that level uh, since then. But until now, work. Yeah, until now. So I agree with Alessandra that it's really um, it's because people are paying attention again. But this has always existed. And it's important to I think it's important to know there's a continuity here. If um, not an uptick. All of us are drawing upon. I mean, we did see this year, uh, you know, internationally known artists like J.R., French artist, mostly known for you know, street art and doing sort of radical installation work uh, across the world in highly politicized zones. So we have artists like JR coming in doing his project. He did, uh, you know, he did an installation of a toddler peering over the fence in Tecate, um, you know, was made it to headlines all over the world, right? And there's, you know, various opinions about, you know, having artists from other places kind of helicopter in and do art. So I'd like to talk about that. Um do you feel like artists like JR are being op- opportunistic? Are they adding to the conversation? Are these sort of works like that helpful to border art and sort of the, in helping these artists who've been doing this type of work for decades, maybe? Well, I can, I can respond to that because um, that's kind of, that was one of the possibilities with my project that, that I did recently. Um, I, um, I'll, I'll just introduce, I don't know if you want to talk about. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Tell us about it. Um, on, on November 18th, um, I collaborated with the overpass light brigade of San Diego and with, uh, um, some members of people over profits in San Diego, um, and another artist, Andrew Sturm and I collaborated together to do a light projection of light graffiti onto the border wall prototypes that are, have been built out in Otay Mesa. And um, 
And this was something that I had been discussing for months with my uh, Borderlands campaign group, um, which is a national organization that I've been part of since 2008. And we talked about it, and we talked about, you know, how are, how do we want to do this? We definitely want to do a projection. We want to do a light projection onto the walls, and we we're talking about different, you know, different ways of doing it and different messages and, you know, possibilities of, you know, doing videos or, you know, some other format. And, um, and some of my uh, colleagues who are, you know, in other parts of the border said, oh, well, you know, we should get like a big name, you know, we should do what JR did and we should, you know, we were talking about getting Robin Bell to come in and right. do a projection. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow, you know, we could get a big name and then it would get all this press and, you know, it would be much more important. And, you know, my idea is, well, I mean, no, I want to do it locally. <laughs> I want to be the artist who does this because I'm here right now talking to you about doing this. And there's something really frustrating, I think, about imagining that you have to have a big name artist come in to do something in order for anyone to pay attention to border art. And I mean, JR's, JR's intervention was really cool and it was really great. I went out there, I saw it, it was very effective. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, and, and he's JR. But, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that JR's intervention in the border wall is more important or will be more important in the future than all of the work that has already been done on the border by local border artists. And, you know, it has, obviously he has a more international reach. He has more connections to the press. And so it made a big splash in the international press, but as an intervention um, and as a piece of art, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we need to value local artists and lift them up into the international level if their work is good rather than always waiting for an international artist to come in and somehow make our region important because they came here um and so that's kind of the way i see it and you know and and that's why we did you know that's why i chose to do our piece the way we did it and Perry, um, as a, you know, an artist who's done border related art in the past and lives here in the region and has for a long time um, do you agree with that take? Do you feel like it's important to su- support local artists and hold up the artists who've been working in this topic for a long time? Oh, oh yeah, of course. It goes without saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the whole point of border art to begin with was to bring the margins to the center, not to bring the center to the margins. And Alessandra? I would totally agree that, and as a curator, I have this show at um, Oceanside, and, and, you know, I only had limited amount of space, so I chose six artists to feature. But my dream as a curator would be to have enough room or space to have a great survey of border art. When I went to the Getty and saw the huge installations that they have, I said, oh, this would be the ideal place because there is <laughs> so many, uh, there are so many artists. I work, you know, I showed Perry's work at Oceanside for Borderless Dreams with Ruben Ochoa and other artists. There's just so, so much work that needs to be acknowledged and it tends, the shows that I have seen tend to be in this, in smaller, more modest spaces. It would be exciting if a large institution at some point um, you know, took it upon themselves to have uh, a greatly curated exhibit of, of border art. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, I mean, this could happen. Uh, 
the, the, the Pacific Standard Time exhibit I just saw at the Hammer Museum. And Pacific Standard Time is an initi initiative of the Getty and other organizations to look at. This year, they're focusing on Latino art. Yes. Um, and it's dozens, hundreds maybe, of institutions across Southern California are participating. Yes. LA and LA standing for Latin America in Los Angeles. And this was a show of radical uh, feminist artists from 1960 to 1985 throughout Latin America. And the, the, uh, there were some big name names in the show, but there was a large, a large number of these artists were, were, were obscure. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they, they were productive at a certain point to the, in their lives. And they may perhaps they had children or they became wives and their production fell off. And some of them continued, some of them didn't. But to see this work unearthed, and brought into the present context was amazing, mm -hmm. um, and I think I think the work that's being that's been done along the border since the days of the border art workshop one day will come in to the public awareness and hope I hope in a similar way. Um, well, and, the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego did their big show. Um, La Frontera. Yes. In they've 1990, done, they've done several. They've done shows. several yeah. border. They also did the. One um, strange new world. strange new world art and mm -hmm. design from Tijuana, two thousand six, mm -hmm. uh -huh. and actually we have one of Erres pieces for that show uh -huh. at the Oceanside Museum of Art, uh -huh. which was the billboard. Um, Don't be a man for just a minute. Be a man your whole life. Which oh, was right. a response to the Minutemen. Mm -hmm. So they did a really beautiful exhibit that was focused on art that was being produced kind of at that time, and that shows you the you know, the, the, how prolific, you know, this subject is and right. how many artists were included in that show. That wasn't like a historical survey. It was a show just showing what was happening at that time. And, and it's just an example. And you said, you're right, they had the other show. The Museum of Contemporary here, here in San Diego has done a great job in uh, working with Tijuana artists mm -hmm. and, and with these issues. Agreed. So, so we, 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 It'd be really cool, you know, to to be a, to do a big exhibition at some point that covers the historical, you know, and the con and the contemporary, the current, right, and gets like a more more of an international stage. So you're talking about like you know maybe a Getty show mm -hmm. or <laughs> aim for the stars, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what you know, moving into 2018, we have the border wall prototypes built. In Otai, you know, theoretically, a new border wall may be constructed at some point. Um, what should we look for going forward? Do you think more international artists like JR will helicopter in and, and focus attention on this issue? Do you think, um, I mean, do you know of any big projects coming up that we, we can look out for? Uh, I don't know of any particular projects. I think Jill's is the most recent one I've heard mm -hmm. I had my students do their interpretation of the border wall, pro border wall prototypes as, as an assignment for their drawing. Oh. two classes. Oh, cool. Um, uh, and and they my students were all very excited to find out about the Jill's project because we we more or less doing those hours concurrent concurrently, but we yeah. didn't know I the other was doing the project. Um, I th I th I th would imagine that it'll it'll just continue. I mean each. The, the the further forward this the wall goes, the more of a provocation it is. Right. Um, I th I think that there's a lot to. I think there are many ways to approach it. Um, I think you, you know once you start looking at the logic of the wall, you start to realize 
the, the inherent contradictions that are built into it. For instance, uh, one likes to think of a border wall as an impenetrable barrier. However, even the Border Patrol, when they commission a prototype, mm-hmm. will tell the, the contractor, we don't need it to be impenetrable. We just need it to... Uh, we just need the crossers. We just need to stop them for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. If it takes them more than 15 minutes, then by that time we can move our assets from wherever they are and put them on that point and we can interdict the crossers. Mm-hmm. So there, I think is if as this goes forward, I think artists should look more and more into the physicality and the legality and the nature of the border wall as it's going up and try and attack it from those ideological positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, and and I think um, for me, I'm I'm um, I've been in touch with uh, my national organization. We kind of follow what's going on in Washington D.C. Um, on the lobbying level and on the um, appropriations level, and so. And what um, national organization is that? The border. Oh, uh, the the it's a it's called the Border Coalition, but then I'm also in the Sierra Club Borderlands campaign. Mm-hmm. And um, so what we, we have people all over the United States that are in our group, and we have a conference call every two weeks. And so we have people that are in Washington, D.C., on the Senate floor, like figuring out, okay, who's saying what, um, what's coming down the pike. And so um, one of the things that has been frustrating for us is to try to figure out, okay, what's actually going to happen and what's going to happen next and where are they going to build and what are their plans? Um, because the, the Department of Homeland Security is very secretive about their plans. Right. They experienced a lot of pushback in 2008 because they basically came in with their bulldozers and said, we're building this wall. And they had 200 lawsuits in Texas mm-hmm. right off the bat. Right. They, because they wanted to build the wall through private property. Mm-hmm. And 70 of those lawsuits have not even yet been settled. And so they had trouble from the beginning with pushback. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't want any more pushback. And so they're very secretive about what they're doing. And, um, and so it's, it's hard to figure out, um, what's happening. And because of that, it's hard to plan any kind of intervention. The intervention that we did in OTI was basically, um, planned around, uh, the prototype testing. And so part of the concept was, okay, you know, we're going to test the border wall to see how it stands up to light graffiti. You know, part of, you know, it's very (laughs) ludic, um, very, you know, it's very playful, ludic kind of intervention. But at the same time, part of that intervention had to do with our positionality, um, and having to position, position ourselves on the Mexican side in the, of the border in order to express ideas that are supposedly inherently American ideas of, of immigrants are welcome in our country. Um, we projected uh, a, f- a figure of the Statue of Liberty onto the prototypes. We projected messages of welcoming to um, refugees, uh, refugees welcome, um, no one in, is illegal. So we had to leave the United States and stand on the Mexican side of the border in another country in order to project inherently American ideas back into the United States. And that's because they wouldn't allow you close enough or you can't get close enough on the U.S. side. There's too much. Right. There's too much security. Exactly. And so that that positionality has always been part of my artistic practice as well of 
trying to help my audience understand that this is this is what the government does to us. It's not what the border does to us. It's what militarization of the border does to us. It's what this wall does to us. The border is a fiction. A border, a, a national border, is a complete fiction. It's a figment of the imagination. It's a convenience um, of the nation state, but it doesn't exist. It 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 exists only because we believe in these structures that we build. And so what I like to do is I like to constantly point that out and constantly and constantly work with that tension mm-hmm. of and by by using positionality, by using this idea of holes and permeability right. in the wall um, mm-hmm. to kind of play with that. Um, and so, you know, that was part of that was part of the part of the idea of our projection. And part of it also was to um, just deflate this rhetoric of the government that, you know, the government projects this idea of massive strength and this faith in technology. You know, we're going to use all this advanced technology and the new prototypes to build walls that are completely impermeable. And it's, you know, they're, they're asking us to put all this faith in technology. And yet, um, you know, we could very easily just project a simple light across the border and, you know, deflate all of that with very <laughs> simple action. And so part of our part of the action that we did was to point that out as well, that just to kind of enact that, uh, you know, that, I don't know, that critique right. of, uh, of the government rhetoric. So there is, as you say, Alessandra, you know, you, there's attention. People are paying attention. Finally, your show undocument undocumenta at uh, the Oceanside Museum of Art has been written up several times. Um, Jill, your project, your and your team's project, I've seen it written about several times as well. Um, oh, that was it was great. Yeah, it, it got into well, it got into USA Today, and yeah. it got into you know a bunch of local markets. Right, but it really hit all the markets in Mexico. It was published in three different papers in in Mexico City, mm-hmm. and it was in Guerrero and Veracruz and Aguascalientes, and it was it was in eleven different newspapers in Mexico. So, as artists so and curators, was, yeah, that was really exciting. To as see artists that. and curators, do you guys feel responsible now to? Or do you feel provoked, maybe is a better word, or um, do you feel like it's more important to, I don't know, maybe you have another border show that you feel like you should curate soon and get it up there soon in 2018 while people are paying attention and interested in this topic. Do you feel like there's it's time for another iteration of Keep on Crossing? Like, is, is there some sort of responsibility of um, curators and artists who are well-versed in, in border art and border politics to step up right now? While you have the limelight, the, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I see Alessandra's eager to speak, um, as I'm sure Jill is too. I'll, I'll keep my remarks short, but I think uh, I, I, I find the most encouraging is the attitudes of my students, who really engage with this thing on a daily basis. I, my where I teach is about ten minutes from the border, mm-hmm. so it's not unusual for my students to live in in Tijuana and come to the United States to uh, get their education. Mm-hmm. And anytime this whole topic of the border comes out, you get real raw emotion that comes out of the students. And add to that a climate of political, uh, political repression, and um, it, it just exacerbates it. So I think that from the 
from the public's point of view, it, it's uh, it's a it's a message that has has is people are ready to receive. Yep. The trick is to uh, make this message and you know a a good to a positive message that people can rally around. Um, uh, just bri- oh, t- briefly, the the project that I'm working on now is called Movida Sarasquaches, which is a translation meaning approximately uh, shifty moves or uh, slick moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a Movida Rasquache is basically what a border crosser's toolkit would be full of Movida Rasquaches or ah. little uh, fixes that you employ to negotiate the border. And so uh, I'll, the, the the outcome of this is to make a set of creativity cards. So you you deal a card to it, you read it. It has a prompt, has a, a a question or a statement, and then you can carry this forward into a kind of a uh, a creative process. Um, the idea is to also teach the ideas of rasquachismo, which is the uh, sensibility or aesthetic that one finds at the border. Uh, and to do it through these cards. An example of one of the the prompts would be, will mayonnaise work instead? And the reason that that is one of the prompts is that I was speaking to someone who had crossed the border via the Rio Grande. They, he and his friend had bicycles, and they were crossing them on inflatable uh, uh, tire, inflatable uh, inner tubes. Ah. One of the one of the bicycles bicycles fell in the water. They were able to get to the other side, but the ball bearings and the wheels began to rust. Mm-hmm. So they took apart the bike, and they naturally, they where they were, they didn't have access to any kind of uh, grease mm-hmm. that you would get at the mechanics to put into the ball bearings and and lubricate them. But one of the one of the the guys said remembered that he had stopped to get some food before they crossed, and he had bought a jar of mayonnaise. So instead of using uh, Packing oil. They just they they pack their ball bearings with mayonnaise, put the wheel back together, and they continued their journey across <laughs> the border. So it's that kind of thinking, that kind of uh, resourceful thinking, which I think is a, an aspect of the border that I'm interested in in exploring, and, I, and which I am exploring here now going forward. Wonderful. Thank you. Look forward to seeing that. And Alessandra, do you feel, I mean, do you have another show in you? Are we going to be expecting more from you? Well, actually, I am um, constantly visiting the work of artists that I see. And I just went to the Craft and Folk Art Museum in Los Angeles as a border exhibition. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited about the work of some of the artists there. So I'm constantly, I am really interested in this topic. Mm -hmm. And mainly, I think that it's, um, it's a way to create understanding but also empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, the exhibit on Documenta is not only that it, it received a lot of attention, which is wonderful, but I've been made myself available for a, to do a lot of tours for colleges, students, and, and guests. Mm-hmm. And all of the responses that I've gotten have been really positive. And so it's an exhibit that when you enter, uh, Omar Pimienta, through his project, is giving you a free passport to Colonia Libertad. Mm-hmm. So he's breaking down the whole concept of the bureaucracy and the concept of nationalism. And then when you um, exit the exhibition, you see Ana Teresa Fernandez erasing the border. Uh, she's painting it over. And so painting it the, uh, painting the sky blue. The so sky from a certain blue. point, it looks like it's gone. Exactly. Yeah. So so as you travel through this exhibition, it's kind of offering you a, 
a utopian maybe view of what this region could be, you know, with no mm-hmm. border, with, with free passage, mm-hmm. you know, for everybody. Uh, and I think that's one of the roles of the artists, you know, to make us think beyond, uh, outside of the box. Right. And to make us think more creatively in the way that we resolve uh, issues in, in society. Because we're often so, you know, kind of stuck and so afraid to, uh, to break out of, uh, of what is, um, you know, what is, what is being forced upon us. So, so I think that I, my passion for this is because I feel that it can become a, a, a way of, of thinking of these problems in a, in, a, in a different way. And I also, I, teaching at college like Perry, I have a lot of students who are dreamers. So I, and I myself was an immigrant to this country and I face some of the challenges that those students now face. And so I think that these are ways to bring humanity to uh, the issues, rather than it being just facts and fear-mongering, it's really about building that human connection and that understanding. So so I think that's why I, I, I'll continue to be invested in, in researching and working with artists that are uh, um, in this working in this genre. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because actually my next question was going to be about the purpose of border art and what it can do at the, you know, at the very best um, what it can do. And I think you just answered all that. But Jill, do you, you know, using the spotlight that you got from your last project that you did, um, I mean, what do you what do you hope people who read an article about these sort of instances of border art? And again, um, you know, looking back, the Trojan horse by Marcos Ramirez Ere was a very symbolic piece that still to this day gets brought up all the time because it you know, brought everything full circle and sort of talked about the history of us versus them, you know, going back ages. So do you feel like you want to use the spotlight to change people's minds politically? Are you, again, just like Alessandra said with a lot of the work in her um, show, giving Uh, humanity and and better understanding? Yeah, I wanted to, yeah, I I wanted to, um, I wanted to sort of, add on to what Alessandra was saying about, you know, the role of the artist and the role of the artist really, in my opinion, um, and, and I think for a lot of people would agree, um, the role of the artist really is to, to raise questions and make people think and to open up new possibilities. And so, you know, back to my earlier complaint, that's why I don't like to call border art protest art. And it's not that it isn't political. It's just that if you call something protest art, it narrows it so much that, you know, what I'm doing is not protesting. You know, what I'm doing is trying to raise questions. I'm trying to open up possibilities. I'm trying to sort of pose little riddles that make people think or make something that looks confusing to people. So they have to think about it. Like, wow, what does that mean? Wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So Eris piece, for example, the Trojan horse beautiful piece that makes people think, wow, you know, everyone's seen the Trojan horse. So it's a Trojan, it was a big wooden sculpture. Sorry, let me just explain. It was a big wooden sculpture that was pushed through the traffic in Tijuana of the borderline. And then did it go through? It straddled the line. It straddled the line. It was a a Trojan horse with with the face in both directions. Right, right, right. So, you know, the idea of the Trojan horse was a one-way thing where, you know, they, they used it as a form of attack. But this one is in both directions. And so he plays with that idea, but 
you know, the important thing for me is that it makes people think. It makes people, it opens up possibilities and opens up a dialogue. It makes people talk. And that's really what I want to do with my work is, you know, I want to make people talk. I don't want to increase the antagonism. I don't like I don't like aggression. I don't like people who do aggressive border art. I, I did not like the piece um, on the wall that was painted um, the very, very um, Donald Trump with a yeah. Donald Trump with the, you know, with the ball gag ball in his mouth and mm-hmm. that said rape Trump. I did. I felt I felt offended by that piece living in Mexico because someone came to my country and painted that piece in a place where I would see it and they would not see it. And I felt very uncomfortable by that. I don't feel like, and you know, and it's art, obviously it's a mural. I'm not going to say that it isn't art, but I, I don't feel like that art takes us anywhere that we are not already at. We're already in a moment where, um, Trump is pushing a kind of antagonism. Trump and the government are, are trying to create more antagonism, trying to create more tension, um, trying to separate the U.S. from everyone else. And to me, you know, that kind of that kind of art that borders on propaganda doesn't really take us very far. It doesn't really get us anywhere. And you know, to to help people think out of the box is a lot harder. And you know, and that is. That's what I hope to do um, with projects that are coming up. Um, I'm working on a project right now that I've just sort of, it's its kind of a project um, on contemporary landscape, and I'm going to be looking at the, um, the free trade zone that is in the area of the prototypes, and there's also uh, a new port of entry that's going to be built there, and they're going to start construction in 2018. And they're going to be replacing the border wall in that area. So I'm focusing on that area, and I'm going to be looking at the tensions between um, this, you know, the force that is trying to create obstacles and prevent people from crossing, and these economic forces that are opening things up. And that's kind of the that's kind of the heart of the project. And and I'm going to be looking at that photography photographically and as landscape and how does that how does that get imprinted on the landscape um so once again it's more to make people think it's not it's not to protest the border um in that sense all right well thank you everyone for your time today you're welcome thank you thank you To continue the conversation, join an upcoming border art talk at the Oceanside Museum of Art at 6 p.m. January 18th. Thanks for listening. If you like listening to Culture Cast, go to VoicesSanDiego.org and click the Donate button. You can also listen to our other shows, the Voices San Diego Weekly Political Affairs Show, our Good Schools for All podcast. We have some Voice of San Diego podcast network shows, a beer talk radio about beer, Cura Chaos about movers and shakers on both sides of the border, and the Kept Faith Sports Podcast. You can find all of those at voiceofsandiego.org slash podcasts.